Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to turn in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. We will read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll skip down to verse 17 and read the rest of the chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 5. I want to say a few things before we read our text today. We're reading a story from the Old Testament that occurred about a thousand years before the coming of Christ. I I love to try to set things in place. Just to take off reading here, this passage would mean something, but we would lose so, so very much. The kingdom of God's people, Israel, is divided. Saul has just been killed in battle. Now try to uh, imagine all of this if, if you can. But, but Saul was the first king of Israel. And he was fighting the Philistines. And he is uh, wounded in battle. And then someone comes along later. And he begs this person to finish him off. Because he knows that there is just no way in the world he can survive the wound, and so the man does. And, and so Saul is dead, and, and, and he's gone. Now, you, you got to remember, David is somewhere, because David has been trying to help fight the Philistines. Uh, but the problem is, Saul has been trying to kill David, because he's very jealous of him. So David has remained in the shadows as much as he can. Saul knows He could use a warrior like David. He showed up one day when there was a 10-foot tall guy standing down in the valley that was uh, uh, running his mouth. And David took care of him. And and, uh, he knows that David could be such an asset to him, but he has grown so selfish and so jealous. And he is so far out of the will of God, he can't see what God was trying to do. So David is down in the lower part of Israel in what is the section called Judah. And there's a little town down there, and David asked God, he said, Lord, what should I do? What what, what do I need to do now? Should I go up to one of the cities? And God says, yes. He says, go up to Hebron and stay there and wait. Now, let me kind of lay this out for you. You have David and his soldiers, and Joab is his main man. And you had Saul and his soldiers, and Abner is his main man. And so you have two different armies fighting the same enemy, which is the Philistines, and God is about to miraculously bring all of these people together. Several things happen. And you can read all of this if you just go back to chapter 1 of 1 Samuel and read those first four chapters. It'll bring you up to speed. But I don't have time for us to wait on all of us reading it. So let me just tell you a little bit about it. 
Ishbosheth is the son of Saul, and Abner, once Saul was killed, Abner the general for Saul, he anointed Ishbosheth, Saul's son, to be king. He's going to rule for about two years. He is not much of a ruler at all. He's not any better, really, than his father. He's a coward in a lot of ways. So David and Jonadab, they're just kind of keeping their powder dry down south. And Ishbosheth is continuing to fight some of these wars. But one day, Ishbosheth shows how stupid he is. He looks at Abner and accuses him of having an affair with a woman. And Abner looked at him and said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. Hey, listen, buddy. That's in the Hebrew. He said, I have been faithful to the house of Saul, and I have been faithful to you. And you don't come here saying things that have no basis for them. You just told a lie. I've had an affair with no one. And he says, as God lives in heaven, he says, I will go now and join David's army. Now, Ishbosheth, it says, would have attacked him or stopped him or killed him. But Ishbosheth was afraid of Abner. Abner was a warrior. Abner goes down, meets with David, tells him, look, you really are the one that's supposed to be king of Israel anyway, and I want to join forces with you. And David says, great. And then Abner leaves David's house, and Joab, David's general, hears about it, and he hunts Abner down, not knowing that they had had a great meeting and they had come together in agreement. He thought Abner was there to trick David, and he killed Abner. David told Joab, he says, I'm putting a curse on your house for this. Yeah, you've been a faithful warrior for me, but nobody gave you permission to go and kill Abner, and that is something that you should not have done. Well, in the meantime, two guys, one named Rechab and one named Ba'anah, they decide, I know you've not maybe heard of them, they didn't do a lot, nothing that made sense. But they decided, we're going to kill Ishbosheth. And so they were members of his own army, but they thought, boy, if we kill Ishbosheth, cut his head off and take it down and give it to David, boy, he is, we're going to be in the good graces of the king. So they went in Ishbosheth's mansion and, 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 and they killed him. He was the king. He was the ruler of Israel at the time. They killed him, cut his head off, and took his head all the way down to Hebron to show it off to David. David said, Oh, you killed Ishbosheth, did you? He said, Let me tell you a little story. He said, There was a guy that came to me one time bragging about he was the one that killed Saul. I was up in Ziglag at the time. You know, we've all been through Ziglag. He said, I was in Ziglag at the time, and a guy came to me and said he killed Saul, and he thought that he would win some uh, brownie points with me as well. And I looked at my men, and I told them, I said, kill that man right there. I don't care if Saul was trying to kill me. He was God's anointed, and you don't touch the anointed one of God. These two guys are wishing they hadn't shown up. He looks at his men, and he says, you kill these two knuckleheads. Uh, he says, as a matter of fact, kill them, cut their hands off, cut their feet off, and hang them up over the pool here in Hebron so everybody can see them. 
I'm a man of God. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here for David. David's not out for revenge. Da the, all these people that are thinking that this will make David happy. This was one of the many things that made David such a great man. He said, I find no pleasure in this. I, find no, I could have killed Saul myself several times, but I would not touch the one that God had anointed to be king. And, and I could have killed Ishbosheth. Abner could have killed Ishbosheth. But for you two to kill him, you die for that. Now, after all of this happens, David's down in Hebron wondering what his next move is. And that's where we come to our passage. All of the elders and leaders of all 12 tribes. Now, David's down here. He's leading in Judah. In the north and the rest of the tribes, there's 11 of them. And they have no king right now. So those 11 come down and meet with David. And they tell him, we want you to be king over all of us. Let's read the passage. It says in verse 1, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, Saul was king over us, and you were the one, though, who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron, and they anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. What in the world are the Jebusites doing in Jerusalem? We'll get to them in a moment. The inhabitants of the land. And they said to David, they're mocking him. I, I wouldn't have done that, but I'm not a Jebusite. You shall not come in here. They said, the blind and the lame can turn you away, thinking that David cannot enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now, to verse 17. God's people hadn't got to fight the Philistines in a while because they've been fighting each other. It says, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. And now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. And then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal Perazim and defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore, he was actually the one who named the place Baal Perazim. It means the Lord breaks through. And they abandoned their idols there. So David and his men carried them away. And then the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. 
When David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go directly up. Circle around behind them and come up at them in front of the balsam trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall act promptly, for then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. And then David said, or David did so, just as the Lord had commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. I said enough about the history that you realize living in a divided kingdom is tough. Who's in charge? Who's making the rules? Are we following David today or are we following Saul today? Should I fear Abner? Should I fear Joab? When you live in a divided kingdom and you're not sure who is on the throne, I I can tell you, boy, that is a chaotic way to live. Now, the history of all of that is important. I always say that to people because I understand a lot of times we don't read passages like this. We think, well, what in the world would all of that mean? What's it got to do with my life today? I hope when we finish here today that you realize, wow, maybe God's got some more to say in the Old Testament about my life that I didn't even realize because God wouldn't have put it in there had He not intended for us to read it. So, Life in a divided kingdom is tough. And I want us to take a look, though, today at what that would look like in our lives. Now, I know we could talk about America's dividing. We could talk about churches being divided. But I want to look at Mike Snellgrove today. And I want to look at my own heart and life. And and I want uh, for God to speak to me. And to speak to you as individuals and, and that we might ask ourselves, what is uh, competing for the throne of God in my life? It's been said that we have two places of significance in our life. We have the cross and we have the throne. And if Christ is on the throne, then we are on the cross. And that is how it should be. But if we put ourselves on the throne, we put Christ on the cross. And that's not how it should be at all. As a matter of fact, this idea of a kingdom, Jesus really visits it for us and He makes it significant. Jesus said when you pray, He said, pray that my kingdom comes and that my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then in your personal life, He says, seek ye first. This is in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of of God. It will do you no good to seek it second. No matter how much effort you put into it. As a matter of fact, I think one of the great lies of the modern progressive church movement, the liberal church movement that really is overtaking so many churches, is that it is okay to seek God second. It's okay to love yourself first and then love God if you really put a lot of effort into it. God says, never mind. It will do you no good to seek me second. Even if you give me everything that's left. In this passage, the king gets to rule it all. And there's some things that happen here that can happen in my life and yours when we say, God, 
I've lived in a divided kingdom. I got things in my life that compete for first place in my life. I want to say, God, that you are first and foremost. And I'm telling you, if you could have heard me praying this morning at my desk, this is before the men came in to pray with me. I, I, I was embarrassed before God. Because I'm praying to God and I'm saying, God, I know I say that, well, you are first and you're number one in my life. But there's so many areas of my life that that you want more control of. And they compete for the throne in my life. And sometimes my life is as chaotic as this nation, Israel, who's calling the shots today. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, God could look at our checkbooks and our calendars and, and, and would they reflect, would that reflect that God is really number one in our lives, that everything else comes second? Does, did, did we marry or are you about to young person, somebody that God's put in your life? Are you going to college where God wants you to go if He wants you to go? And and, and, and where is it that, that you're going to church? Is you're going to one because it's close? Or are you going to one because they preach the Word of God and, and they stand on the truth of God? Or are you going to the one that God puts you in? That's the most important question of all. It's so easy sometimes to let other things take God's place in our little kingdom here. Let's take a look at life in a unified kingdom. Number one, the conviction involved. You've you got to have some conviction to even make a decision like this. And they had two things that pushed them to come and say, David, we're tired of fighting. As really, if you read those chapters I told you about, there's a wonderful place in there where Abner had gone to Joab at one time and said, why don't we stop killing each other? We're supposed to all be the people of God. Why don't we quit fighting? And Joab said, that's a great idea. And then, of course, later he turns around and he's the very one that takes the life of Abner. You see how crazy it is when you don't know who's in charge? When you don't know who's calling the shots? First of all, God's Word led them. In verse 2, they said, the Lord said. And I, I, I know they're going to go on and say, the Lord said, David, you were the one to be the shepherd of Israel. But just zero in on those words, the, the Lord said. Sometimes it's a great answer when people ask you, why do you do what you do? You just say, because God said to that doesn't sit well in our society today. I mean, years ago, individualism began to, to rise to the surface and we quit listening to friends and quit listening to teachers and then we quit listening to parents and then we quit listening to God. I can tell you a good reason to do anything is because God said to do it. And I can tell you, God had made this statement a long time ago. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 49 verse 10. This is Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible if you're new here. God said in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter was the thing that a king would hold in his hand that signified that he was sovereign, that he had all power. And he says, the scepter over the, my people will never ever leave the house of Judah. It will always come from Judah until Shiloh comes. And I know we're pushed for time, but Shiloh is a word it occurs 33 times, I 
think, in the Old Testament. And every time it refers to a place. But this time, in Genesis, it is a word that means the pleasant, blessed one. So until the Messiah comes, he says, that someone from Judah will always have the scepter to rule the people of God. Now there's a problem, though. The scepter's not been in Judah yet because Saul was a Benjamite. You see, that was never God's ultimate will that Saul ever be king. The people begged God for a king and God gave them one and brought a lot of judgment through him. But Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. David was from the tribe of Judah. That's the tribe where all of the kings should rule. So God has already decided that David was supposed to be the one that was ruling all along. As a matter of fact, 20 years before this chapter takes place, Samuel had already anointed David as king over all of God's people. Sometimes you just do things because that's what God said. And I know we've talked about this before, but... There's a way that life works, and there's a whole bunch of ways that it doesn't work. If you live life the way God says, it works. Now, if you want to bow up, and you want to say, well, I I, I don't know. I I mean, I'm a Christian and all that. I don't know how many times I've heard people say stuff like this. Well, I'm a Christian. I I mean, I, you know, I, I try to do best I can and all that, but... I don't know. They just, you know, some things that I'm just, I'm not going to be made to do. And I just, this is how I am. I talked to a guy one time who was throwing the N word around like it was going out of style. And when I confronted him about it, he said, I don't mean a thing in the world by that. He said, I don't mean any more by that than I mean Baptist. And I thought, well, (laughs) I didn't tell him this. But I thought, well, maybe you and I should go to South Chicago, and I'll call them Baptists, and you call them what you just said. And we'll see which one of us makes it out. Just, I'm not going to do it. You're not ready to follow God when you got a big handful of, I'm not going to do it. It doesn't matter what God says. I got God's word. Secondly, God's will. Verse 6 says, now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. There they are. We need to deal with them. What are Jebusites doing in Jerusalem? If you go all the way back to Exodus, and this is just one place, it's in several places, but in Exodus 23, 23 says, for my angel will go before you. When you get into the land, my angel will go before you and, and will bring you into the land of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I will completely destroy them. However, if you go to the end near the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 15, verse 63 says, Now as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the sons of Judah could not drive them out. So the Jebusites live with the sons of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. You see, the Jebusites didn't belong in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, in First Chronicles, when it talks about them, it says they had actually changed the name of Jerusalem to Jabus. 
named after their leader. And they were pagans and they were living in the holy city of Jerusalem. And, and, and so the first thing that happens when David becomes king, he says, hey, we need to establish a capital and Jerusalem is the place where it needs to be. And the Jebusites have to go. But I, I can tell you something, the Jebusites are not easy to get rid of, especially when God's people have already taken the idea into consideration that, well, we'll, we'll just live with them. It's just one of those things in our lives that, that, that we just can't seem to, to get rid of. And, and, and so, I mean, and just think about us nowadays, what we would say. We would say, well, God, you got 90% of the kingdom you got almost all of Israel. It's just this one piece of land that, that the Jebusites have. I mean, good night. No kingdom's perfect. I mean, we could say all of those things. And I don't know what the Jebusites might be in your life. I know what they are in my life. But sometimes there are things in our lives that are hard to get rid of, so we just decide somehow or another we're going to live with it. We're going to strike a compromise, and, and we're just going to keep telling people we're not perfect. And, and if we just say that long enough, we figure that, well, that, that's going to make it all right. We already know that we're not perfect. Every one of us know that. But I can tell you something. In my life, I will start by confessing myself that I have some Jebusites in my life that I have struggled with for a long time. Matter of fact, they had been in Jerusalem for 400 years. I'd say they had pretty well learned to live with them. Boy, strongholds. That's one thing about strongholds. They have longevity. They stay with you a while. Sometimes there's things in our lives that Somehow or another, we just strike a compromise and say, God, I know that's not your will. But oh, well, nobody's perfect. We can comfort ourselves with all kinds of things. But if it's an area in our life where he's not Lord, and I got him, I can tell you the Jebusites need to go, and we need to quit arguing about them and get rid of them. They have longevity. They had defensibility. They're hard to get rid of. They told David, says, look, Jerusalem, this city that you've come to take, it's got a valley on three sides. The only side that doesn't have a valley is the north side, and we've got such a wall built there that even the lame and the blind can keep you out. And David was sort of like, well, let's just, just see. And David actually kind of becomes a little bit of a smart aleck. If we had read those verses right there in the middle, he says, well, let's go up and uh, see who can get a hold of the lame and the blind today and uh, take care of this place. It wasn't long the Jebusites were gone because I can't move them. And you can't either. You've probably already figured that out. But God can. God can. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Him, man, and I feel like the biggest hypocrite in this church right now. I wish my problem was something I could hide. I, I just, I, I, I know you've, how long have you known me? Some of you have known me. We were talking about it yesterday at the firewood breakfast. Kelly Tomlin's known me 37 years, 30-something years. I don't remember how long. It's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, and I've been on a diet ever since. 
area of my life that I struggle with. And I see sometimes all oh, these preachers, oh, they brag about I, I saw a, a black preacher, he's a comedian. He he was really hilarious and he was huge and he talked about he pulled his sport coat open he had this big old belly and he said this is abundance I thought man okay it's abundance Lord see I wish that was the only thing the Jebusites are hard to get rid of somebody says you have to fight them like the third monkey on the ramp getting on the ark and it's already starting to rain conviction involved there's some challenges involved we'll look at these quickly known first of all by their previous attacks the Philistines show up in verse 17 they're known by their previous attacks not the first time David had run into them when the Philistines heard in verse 17 that they had anointed David king over Israel all the Philistines went up to seek out David same old enemy man They already had seen what David could do as a boy with a slingshot. I don't know if they reconfigured their helmets or not because when Goliath had his own, it had an opening right here. I'm going to guess somebody might have suggested, before we go up there, why don't we put us a piece of metal across that? Because that boy can hit that thing. He put Goliath on the ground with slingshot and now we're going up against him and he's got an army but don't ever think that your enemies are afraid of you. They're not. I can tell you. Same old enemy. Those previous attacks. Boy, and I know. It, it's just, it, 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 it is the same old enemy sometimes. You know it as well as I do. There's certain things in our life that maybe some people have no trouble with and you have trouble with it and you just love to get rid of it. But I can tell you, temptation is relentless. Depression is merciless. And the flesh is unrelenting. And guilt is heartless. And, and whatever it is that you're fighting against, I can tell you, the very day you think, I finally won, I finally conquered it. I don't think it's gone far. Brother Kenneth Ridings was our homiletics teacher when I was in Bible college. And I remember one day he was teaching us how to outline a passage in James about how the devil comes and gets us and we have to resist the devil. And he says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And while we were still all amening and fist pumping, he says, but he won't go far and he won't stay long. He doesn't give up easily. They're also known by their prompt attacks. Since when the Philistines heard, I mean, it didn't take them long. They said, we got to go. Those people are united now. They've been a wreck. We've been able to just pick them off because they had no leader. But now they have a leader. And, and boy, they've just experienced this great time. And they're still hooping and hollering and shouting and rejoicing because finally they have a united kingdom. And now is the time to go. And sometimes it seems like, boy, that is when the devil really likes to hit you. The old tempter knows. I mean, think about it. Right after Jesus. Jesus was baptized and, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
Guess who follows him in the very next passage off into the wilderness? That's right. After a great time of blessing. And you maybe you maybe you've lived that. Maybe you've thought, boy, I've left church some days fist pumping. And before I get home, somebody doesn't know the difference between green and red. And they already had a Joe Biden sticker on the car. Be careful today going home. We've had a good time. I promise you, you, we didn't scare off our enemy. Previous attack, prompt attacks, persistent attacks. I like this. In verse 20, they lose the battle. In verse 22, they come back for some more. David's already defeated them one time. And I really like this. The first time they came, it says they brought their idols with them. Isn't that incredible? How pagans, when they go into war, they take their idols. And they left in such a hurry, they left the gods behind. Can you imagine the conversation that took place back at camp? George, I thought you got, that's a Philistine name. Uh, Did you not get the gods? Our gods don't take us into battle like Israel's God does. We take our gods into battle with us because they're trinkets and they're dead pieces of concrete and they're worthless. And David said already in the Psalms, they have eyes that they don't see and ears but they don't hear and they have hands but they cannot heal. Your gods are dead if they're pagan gods. They took their gods into battle and, and, and left them lying there. Oh man. Conviction is involved in this. There's some challenges involved, I can tell you. But then thirdly and last of all, there's some conquest involved. You can overcome some of these things. And they come in three ways. One, they come through prayer. In verse 19 it says, David prayed before he went out to battle. Now, I would have made this mistake probably. When the Philistines came back, why do you need to pray? God's already told you one time, go fight them. David said, no. I know, same people, same place, same war. But I'm not making a move until I get on my knees before God. That's how you defeat these things, friend. He prayed to God again. And God said, well, this time we're going to do something different. Now, that would have got him kicked out of most Baptist churches right off the bat. We're going to do something different. He says, I want you to go around behind them. This time they're not going to get away. We have a new way of waging war. And I want to tell you something, churches. We ought to learn sometimes, and I don't think we have. God doesn't always do things the same way every time. I grew up in churches that, my goodness, in my home church, I've told you before, the only time we raised our hands was to vote no. And I mean, it had to always be the same thing. And it's been said to me, and times we're going to say to me, and in one, the last seven words of a dying church is we never did it that way before. Well, God might want you to do something a different way. I think about this same person, David, when he went out to fight Goliath, and, and, 
And Saul puts his armor on David. And David is clanking around, can barely stay on his feet. It's way too big for him. He's looking through the ear hole in that helmet on his head going, man, none of this stuff works for me. And I'm sure old Saul could have said, what do you mean none of that works? You see that dent in the side of that head? Old Amalekite gave me that one day, but boy, I turned around and cut him in half. And look at that dent down there and those scratches on the legs of that armor. Boy, let me tell you a story about that too. Man alive. And I bet he had tons of stories to tell about that. But David looked at Saul and says, I can't wear this because I have not proved them. I've never used these in battle. But I'll tell you what I have used. I've used a slingshot. And I brought down some pretty big game with it. Oh my goodness, friend. I'm not saying that we need to get away from the Word of God, but that's our problem. A lot of people think they're sticking with the Word of God because they've not done anything new in a hundred years. And it's ridiculous. And a lot of churches are going to die. They're going to die because God's wanting to do something fresh. And they grew stale years ago. They come through prayer. Secondly, they come through praise. I love this. It says, so David came to Baal Perazim and defeated them there. And he says, the Lord has broken through my enemies. Not me. Not my wise uh, willy ways. Not, not my uh, ability to lead armies. The Lord is the one that has done it. Therefore, he was the one that named the place Baal Perazim. Baal Perazim means the Lord has broken through. Ish Perazim would mean that man has broken through. But man wasn't able to break through. So it's Baal and not Ish. Just tell somebody that this week at work. Just don't say anything else. Just look at them right in the eye. See, it's Baal and not Ish. And just walk off. It is Baal and it is not Ish. Oh, Ish is tried. Praising God for what he had done. Man, we ought to get to where we can do that better. I, I, I understand that we all have different personalities and all of that, but I, I, I got to tell you, man, when we're singing soon and very soon, Brother Mike, and I kind of catch somebody out of the corner of my eye, and they got a face long enough to eat ice cream out of a stovepipe. And they just standing there. What would it take? I, I'm not saying to, to do it because we might not could stand it if you did. We might, our heart may fail us. But there's some people that I just don't understand. I'll give you a great example. In the very next chapter, once David establishes the city of Jerusalem and the Jebusites are gone, he sends for the ark. It's been over at somebody's house, the Ark of the Covenant. And he has it brought into the city. And when they bring in the Ark of the Covenant, David gets to dancing. So we know he's not a Baptist, but he starts to dance. And one of his wives, when he gets in the house, said, you look silly out there today. You took your shirt off and danced. You had all them young girls looking at you. David looked at her. He said, because of that remark, 
That's how they talk to their wives back then. <laughs> they slept in another room. <laughs> said, you will be childless the rest of your life. Says, I was giving praise to God. You know, sometimes I think we need to dance. The book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time for it. I think some have never figured it out. We're too dignified. Really. And it's not just about, I'm not going to do it. For a couple of reasons. One, I'd look silly. And two, I'm sure Brother Josh has got too much to do this week. Rather than have to sew me back together somewhere. But, but I, I can just tell you, the looking silly part is what's got us. Sometimes we need to dance. That means do something where you look and maybe feel ridiculous. Do something that doesn't make sense. Do something where you lose your sense of pride and you just get out there and cut loose and don't care what anybody thinks. Are you on board with that? i tell you a great place to dance is your checkbook. Still on board? God's checkbook, there you go. Dance on that thing. Say, hey, you know, we, we, we got some bills coming up and all that and, 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 and everything, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting $1,000 on that uh, blank Bible project or, or whatever it is. That might not even be dancing for you. You might be one of those. You don't have to have a lot of money to worry about it all the time. You got all the bills paid. That's what's on the throne of your life. That's what keeps you from dancing. You, are, you got that security that I have planned and, 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 and we're good for days ahead and, and I'm protecting myself or whatever against whatever comes my way. Sometimes you just need to cut loose and dance, man. Oh, I could never teach a class. I remember the first time I walked up to Pastor Mike Dees. And I just asked him, I mean, I, 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 he looks brilliant, does he not? He's sharp as a tack. He's a nice looking fella. Every time somebody comes around here wanting a picture of the pastor, I send him across the hall. He's right over there. He looks sophisticated. It fooled me. I walked up to him. I figured he's taught. For years, ain't no telling. He's probably done seminars and been flown all over the world. I bet he's got CDs and a podcast and all that. And I walked up to him one day, he's sitting about right there where Pilate is, and I said, hey, uh, would uh, you mind teaching a class one day? And I promise you there's nothing in here as white as his face turned. He had no idea that it wouldn't be long. He wouldn't just be teaching, <laughs> he'd be preaching. And I'm sure when you went home and told Miss Brenda, God's called me to preach. I, she might not have been surprised. I think it was something God did a long time ago. But God finally had his way and his will. I'm just telling you, fear of looking stupid has kept a lot of people planted in these green chairs. Cut loose sometimes and dance. Do something that's ridiculous. I got to move on. But they come through prayer. They come through praise. Sometimes they come through patience. It says, David inquired of the Lord in verse 23. He says, you shall not go up directly this time. Ah, so that's why he prayed. 
God's got a different plan. In verse 24, it shall be when you hear the sound of a marching and the tops of the balsam trees, then you better act promptly. Or they won't be anybody left to kill. Because that army you hear up in the tops of those trees moving that you don't see, that'll be me and my army. How about that? Could you go out to battle if God said that to you? He is saying that to you and to me. He says that you don't have to fight by yourself. Man, could you imagine what David was like when he's sitting there going, shh. I hear him. I hear him. There they are. Let's go, boys. Man, do you think they cared one bit how many Philistines they were? No one, just wait till they get a load of God's army. I, I love it when Joshua was fighting a battle one time and he got to losing and he prayed to the Lord and God went to sending hailstones down. They were so big, God killed more of them with hailstones than Joshua could kill with the sword. Joshua, if you're going to kill anybody, you better get busy. I'm good at this. Man, sometimes we have to be a little patient. There's a poem, Patience is a Virtue, possess it if you can. Seldom found in a woman and never in a man. Oh, yeah, we like, uh, uh. Philistines are back. Time to go give them some what for. God says, no, wait a minute. I got a different plan this time. Different plan. Life in a united kingdom, man. A unified kingdom. Where God is on the throne. I don't know what you may have in your life that competes for the throne. We all have things. I promise you we do. If you think you don't, then you've already moved into stage two. That's where the Jebusites are among you and you've stopped even noticing them. You've learned how to live with them. Compromise. And I'll tell you, life where God's on the throne and I'm on the cross, that's the way to live. Crucify me, Lord. Break me, God, and help me to surrender. And that's all that God asks of us. Surrender. It's hard to do, though. We're so full of self-sufficiency and we're, sometimes God has plans that are so much bigger than us. I, I, I've learned this. I don't want to sound cliche, but God's never called me yet to do something that was really His will that I could have done on my own. That's why He called me to do it, because I couldn't do it without Him. He wants to do it through us. I would say to you this morning, Pray diligently and say, God, show me. Show me where in my life those things that compete for your place have gotten a foothold. Maybe they've been there a long time and they don't even realize it. Didn't even know it was a problem. Never thought about it. It's the way I was raised. 
Nobody's perfect. You have put all that lipstick on that pig long enough. Maybe you'd just like to say, God, I'm done. I want you on the throne of my life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you could take a story 3,000 years old. And God, you could make it as alive today as it was then. And the truth, Lord, of this story that we find, God, the encouragement and the warnings that we hear and, and should heed in this story, God, they're as true now as they ever were. I pray, God, that you will help us. Help us to pray for each other, Lord. Help us, God, to quit trying to figure out a way to live with compromise help us God to know how blessed and how less confusing life can be when we do it because you said it when we worship you because you're on the throne when we go to you in prayer even when we have a plan we dare not make a step God until we inquire of you where we put our faith and trust in you, God. Where you bring us together, Lord, as a people where we can stand together, Lord, instead of all of us fighting, Lord, as James tells us, those wars that keep going on within us, God. Where we keep asking and we don't have and we seek and we never find. Lord, that dissatisfaction, God, it's so real. I pray you'd help us today, Lord. Please help us, God, to surrender to you. Thank you for your word now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.